give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 26 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. I am super excited for this episode. For those of you who heard my year-end episode back in December, I named a few of my favorite albums of 2019. And one of the albums I mentioned was called The Ruins of Fading Light by the band Crip Sermon, an epic doom metal band out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And the reason my excitement for this episode is so high is because I am joined by two members of Crip Sermon, guitarist Steve Jansen and vocalist Brooks Wilson. Steve and Brooks, welcome to the show. Hi. Hello. This is a Metallica podcast, obviously, so I'm going to start with a little icebreaker question that I usually ask first-time guests. What is your Metallica story? Do you remember the first time you heard the band? What is the story of you discovering them and getting into them for the first time? Steve, do you want to start? Oh, yeah. Um, so I'm 33 now. I Metallica, it was Ozzy and Metallica that were the two first metal bands I ever got into. And a large reason, like the um, exact reason I started playing guitar in the first place. Um, it's, uh, it's been so long, but I, I, I think it was my... I was at my friend's house and his brother was blasting Ride the Lightning from his bedroom. I just thought it sounded super cool. So, yeah. Obviously, the album cover is just, you look at that album cover and you're just like, yeah. wow, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. So that's the, that's the Cliff Notes version. Nice. So it was an older brother of a friend? It was actually his younger brother. <laughs> uh, Plot twist. <laughs> like not not much younger, but younger. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Brooks? Uh I got into Metallica when I was in sixth grade and Load came out. I <laughs> I had just started being in like allowed to sort of buy CDs and stuff yeah. on my own um in about sixth grade so i'd go uh to the ucd store i bought load when that came out and then it was a ucd store so you just like had the pick of every old metallica album too so i i had this like good fortune to come up in an era where people were saying like oh man i remember when metallica was good and you're like well i don't even know what you're talking about because this is great because i'm in sixth grade and so you know, I, I had this, I, 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 it was like, you know, a handicap to be born in, in the like era of like the birthplace of new metal, but it was all, on the other hand, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I, I, if, if I went to look for like Pantera, it would have been, I think Pantera is like far beyond driven was the first Pantera album I got. So I just went right, backwards yeah. from that. <laughs> and I was like, Oh man, Pantera gets even better. This is great. I was just, <laughs> I have a similar story as you, Brooks. I have uh, my introduction to the band was the Black Album because our uh, next door neighbor had the cassette. Plus, it was everywhere, but I was young at the time, you know. But um, I remember he, see, like, with my two older brothers seeing the Inter Salmon video on MTV and stuff. But I got a CD player, my first CD player in sixth grade, and Load was the new album out. So I got yeah. Load. And at that time, I'm like, oh, Metallica only has two albums, the Black Album and Load. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. 
And then I, I, mowed, I got like I a, mowed the yard. I mowed the yard to load for so many days over <laughs> the summer. Like, you know, I, like load and like roots. <laughs> like, yeah. How? I mean, how old are we all here? I'm thirty-five. Uh, yeah, I'm thirty. I'm thirty-six. Yeah. So yeah. everyone, everyone fucking like load. We it was like <laughs> at our age, like we were. Yeah. We were too young to be around for like, you know, the, the golden days or however you right. want to say it. Like, right. I was one no when Master Puppets cool, came out. <laughs> no matter how fucking cool people want to be, like that are our age, they they liked load when they were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was uh, talking to somebody on the Metallicast Twitter, and they were saying how their favorite Metallica album is Death Magnetic. And I was like, nothing against that album, but how is it your favorite Metallica album? And like, well, that was the first Metallica album I ever owned. I was like, all right, yeah, I get that. Because for me, you know, Load was one of my entry points. And I grew up with the whole, you know, Load Reload era. So like, I have a different recollection of that era of the bands than a lot of the old right. truths, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. the same thing happens with like, stuff that was coming out when I was younger. And I meet younger kids like who were like, oh, I like you know, such and such albums, like their fifth album, you're like, really? Then you just realize, like, oh, well, I was there once, too. Yeah, but I, I, I remember, <laughs> so I have the black album, I have load, I go to the record store, I'm like, let me just look at the Metallica section. Oh, shit, they have four other albums? <laughs> Which one will piss yeah, off my right. mom the most? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what I did know, when I when I looked at those old albums, like I said, well, like I saw the covers of Ride Lightning, but and I, you know, if I had load, but the covers of those old albums just like suck me in yeah. way more than anything. Yeah, it really shows you like the power of um, an album cover. And I think those first four are just so iconic if you're a metalhead. Oh, yeah. What were some of the other influences you guys had growing up? Ooh. Yeah, I came, I came into that era of like metal. So, I think sixth and seventh grade, I was like proactively in between like getting into metal and like getting into punk. And at a certain yeah. point, it just became like I got into like, you know, most of most of I mean, part of it's the environment that you come up in too. like, you know, there were I was from Charlotte, North Carolina. So like there was like punk a punk scene there and it was like a pretty grimy scene. But, you know, yeah, there's like places to go and in in uh like the metal scene and there wasn't really a metal scene in charlotte in the 90s you know right so like you kind of go where you can socialize so that was like yeah. a at least a socials you know circle to hang out in too but you know in charlotte you know is also there was like metal core and stuff happening that was like right. big yeah so like i also yeah. hung out with those guys you know Still, I still hang out with some some people in some of those types of bands. Yeah, I get. I was into. Um, I I grew up in New England, so I was sort of sucked into metalcore because so many of those bands came out of Boston, like Killswitch Engage right, and Gage, yeah. and a lot of those. What about you, Steve? Uh, I grew up in a small like city in the middle of uh, Pennsylvania, like North Center, Northern Central Pennsylvania. Uh, there wasn't a big music scene or anything there. I, by the time I was in high school, like everyone was into pop punk, but it, uh, 
sort of I was that was not my thing. So I was sort of just taking anything I could. It was like around the Napster era, so I would just like download stuff and buy as much as I could. But I was, you know, I was a kid. Shame, shame. So I didn't have any money. <laughs> but um, no, I mean it's it was how it was. Uh, I got into Metallica, yeah. and then I got, of course, I got into Slayer and Iron Maiden and all the classic stuff. Yeah. But I was very fortunate enough because um, I had a guitar teacher that I started taking lessons from who's um, really into like shrapnel record stuff like Racer Rex with all those crazy guitarists mm. like Paul Gilbert, Jason Becker. So I got really right. into that and then I moved to the city um, when I was like 18 to play music and that was when I started seeing what more of like an actual metal scene or punk scene was like and uh started going out since going to shows and that was it was funny because i i always associated punk with being stuff like just pop punk when i was in high school because that's what i was surrounded by right but, yeah and then when i started seeing punk shows in philly i was like oh well this is where like bathory and like in tomb come from and yeah. <laughs> so i started making a but yeah that's about it cool um is there any Thing you grew up listening to that might surprise people who are fans of your music? Anything outside the metal, punk, hardcore box? Well, oh, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I, love, yeah. Like, I love pop. I, love, I like pop music, like 80s pop music. Um, yeah. I, like, I write and record country music. Um, oh, awesome. I grew up with country music. Yeah. I grew up in like a southern, like white, like evangelical, like <laughs> country, <laughs> you know, thing. Awesome. Um, but I don't like real country music. I don't I don't like that type. <laughs> like <laughs> you like yeah. like the old school classics like a Johnny Cash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone would be surprised to to hear that that the guy from Crip Sermon liked that though. We have like a pretty like straight country call out on on one of our albums. <laughs> well, there's yeah. also like a very big crossover. I feel like among some of those old country singers and metalheads, you know, like Johnny Cash. Yeah. There's something very metal and punk rock about what he was doing. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and and like even like Merle Haggard and Waylon Jennings, like it, they're like rough around the edges, like big character type of like. Yeah, they they appeal to both sort of like the the working ethic of punk and also like you know the sort of superhero badass thing that metalheads love. Sure. Yeah. My background growing up, I, I mean, I don't think it was all. I don't think it's all that interesting or surprising to anybody. I, my mom was very busy. She didn't, I never really heard her listening to a lot of music. So I didn't get to get my parents, but like I had two sisters and a brother. My brother listened to hip hop and my sisters, of course, had like the Columbia House CD catalog. So, <laughs> so I, mean, I still like a lot of the stuff that you heard on the radio from the early 90s. Um, yeah. But I didn't really, I feel like my case did get, a lot more interesting until later stuff but I, cool. I didn't come up with like my background with music was pretty pretty standard yeah so kind you you have all these influences 
when you were growing up, were you? Uh, I'm assuming you guys were musical from a pretty early age. Was was it like self-taught? Were you taking lessons? How old are you in sixth and seventh grade? Is it like that's like twelve, You're, right? Yeah, 12, around twelve. 14, yeah. Yeah. 12 to 14, right? Like that's yeah. when I got into metal and started playing music. You know, it came at the same time. I like I heard like I remember being like pretty young and hearing Man in the Box on the radio and that being like a thing that spoke to me. <laughs> and yeah. pretty much as soon as I could get my like granddad's acoustic guitar that was like the first guitar in my house. Yeah. Like I think I was like 10 or 11 i started like you know when you steve you know when you just start like playing the two like you you do like a lower fourth but you don't know you're doing a, a lower fourth yeah. you're doing you know like mm -hmm. that like just every song i wrote just sounded like the beavis and butthead song <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, um as far as me when i um started really wanting to play music so the, the i'll start the very first album I, I borrowed from my sister who again had the columbia house catalog was nirvana's unplugged in new york and uh i, I mean I, I loved it i still love that album uh yeah it's a great one and then it um and then i got there then i got the heavier records and then that was when i really started i really want to play guitar and um but up until that point, my life was little league baseball and professional wrestling. <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm still a wrestling fan, guilty itself. So. <laughs> uh, I don't want to digress, but I'll get into uh, you with that later if we have time. <laughs> um, I've come full circle. But, um, anyways, um, yeah, that was, my, and then I got into that, and then I heard Metallica, and uh, actually, no, it was I heard Ozzy, and, um, when I heard Ozzy's guitar players play, I, I like, knew I like begged my mom for a guitar, and then I got into Metallica. I begged yeah. and begged, and then uh, under didn't think I would stick with it, but under unfortunate circumstances, my grandfather passed away, and I inherited his music mm. guitar, and I wouldn't put it down. So then they finally got lessons, and here yeah. we are. Cool. I was. It's funny because I was listening to a bunch of music earlier today, and Alice in Chains came on, and I was thinking about how I was trying to think of like another subgenre of music, like grunge, where you have all these bands that are so drastically different in sound that are labeled as one thing. Like if you take like oh, the yeah. big four of that genre, like it, you have Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains, and they're four completely different sounding bands. <laughs> Yeah. That's a good feature. I mean, that's a good feature of that genre though. I, I yeah, I mean I like each one of those bands for their own thing, you know. It, it's really bad that there are bands like Nickelback and Puddle of Mud and Creed and they're they're also grunge bands. It's like the worst possible example, <laughs> you know. I, I mean, so, I think it's like yeah. a, Go ahead. Go on, I say, like maybe not the best parallel I think that's pretty common with any sort of like movement. Like it yeah. starts off and everyone's real hungry, and sure. then like they have a they have overlap in some areas, but they all sound they have completely their own sound. Yeah, and then yeah. eventually things catch on to get watered down, and then there's the copies. Like it's I think it's like that. Right. Anything. 
Yeah, for sure. Right. So I'll ask you guys a a question for you to weigh in on. I saw a headline uh, this week this week that the vocalists of All That Remains said that the Load Reload albums are basically Nickelback albums. Agree or disagree? I well, I'm gonna disagree because I think <laughs> Nickel. Okay, well, I came into the band on those albums. I yeah. like I put on until it sleeps the other day. That's a cool song. Like, yeah, I, I feel like I get what they're going for. Also, like Nickelback needed those albums. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if Nickelback wouldn't exist without those albums, that could be like a fair statement. But like, right. you know, it's not like Nickelback wrote those albums. <laughs> you know, and 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 the good songs are really are pretty good songs on those albums. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. not a lot of them. Between the two of them, you'd have like an okay album. Yeah, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, and I think that's where there's probably more filler on that, definitely. On those two albums, definitely than like the other ones in the past. Uh, but if you, yeah. but I, but I think the best songs still hold up with, uh, you know, a lot in their catalog. Not Master Puppets, yeah. but, <laughs> but, yeah. um, so you guys have all these influences. You're playing music growing up. You're, you know, you're doing kind of the typical thing of, of a teenage musician. So how do you get to the point? Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of things. So I'm sorry this is sort of too open ended. But how do you get to the point where Crip Sermon comes to be? Uh, you mean like how we got together as a band? Or yeah, like how, what kind? Of, where where did your roads kind of um, cross? And how did the band come to okay. be? It's, a, um, it's the damnedest well, thing. <laughs> it's the what? It's the damnedest thing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little. Like, yeah, I, I mean, but either way, this, Brooks and I had been playing uh, bands for like what five years at that point. Two thousand eight, I think. Two thousand six. Yeah, something like that. We'd been playing together for a while. Let's, Let's say um, two, let's go 2006. Right. Um, we were kind of in between bands, I think, at the point. Um, nope, we was doing anything that was like, I don't know, it'd be a project, but I don't think anybody was doing anything like they were focused on anything. And that's what Crip Sermon was supposed to be. But uh, Brooks and I know each other. And then I met James. I mean, I'd been acquainted with James. We'd hung out before, but we were we weren't that tight yet. Um, right. but I bumped into him at a show and um, we were talking and this was kind of during the time when uh, the, I guess early 2010s uh, where like the big stonery, the stone metal, stoner doom boom was still happening as well as like the, yeah. the ISIS sounding stuff was starting to die down. So, but either way, it was another one of those shows with like a wall sized Everyone had wall-sized pedal boards and, like, fucking 50 amps making just quick noises. And it, it, I was just, at that time, I was just over it. Um, now I feel neither here nor there about it. But at that time, and then James and I were got to talking about something slower, heavier band, but with those more songwriting-oriented, like, the common ground of stuff, the candle mass. And him and I got together and just started jamming for fun. And um, I naturally, when we started piecing the idea 
together of um, forming a band, and Brooks jumped in on bass right away. And I was we were friends with Enrique, so I mean, I hadn't played with him yet. And it was just like I called him up. I was like, "Hey, you want to be in a band?" I'm like slow. <laughs> That's another thing. None of us were, not all of us were totally accustomed to playing slow yet at that point. Um, but yeah, no. That's that's the very beginning of it. Sorry if that was just. No, it oh, it really great. is. It really is impossible. Like we got together just like. Uh, Steve and I have been just like in a series of bands, right? Since since two thousand six, I think it's safe to say mm-hmm. we have like a series of different styles of music that we we put out, you know, yeah. together. Um but but that like out of all of it that for whatever reason crip sermon was the one that people like jumped on to or like had any more notable response to you right. know was was yeah. pretty interesting and it was like a weird combination it was like a different i don't think any of us felt exactly comfortable when we started the band up because it was a lot more commercial or not maybe yeah. not commercial is not the right thing but like i don't know i never sang like you know, in a rock band before. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was totally new ground. Like, um, and especially for you, I don't want to speak for you, but you pretty much just said it. Like, I know that must've sucked, like, and been a lot of, a lot of face, a lot of anxiety, like just starting to actually say man like this, cause it's not easy. And I remember that, was that was a, a, we were all worried about that. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. It, it was fine. It turned out all right. <laughs> So that's you kind of touched upon a few of the questions, a few of the other questions I had, but one of them was, you know, you have all these influences. So playing kind of like the style of doom metal, that was an intentional choice more so than like what kind of came naturally when you got together to jam. Right. Yeah. We're I don't I mean, I think we all like Doom, especially like Candlemass sure. and Solitude Eternus. We like yeah. Doom metal, but I don't think any of us like we're like this is the only type of music we listen to right all of us like spend more time probably listening to a lot of other genres than doom metal there's not a ton of doom bands anyways yeah well i mean i think if if i can say this i think that's sort of the appeal of crypt sermon i mean i'm not a, a person who gravitates towards a lot of quote doom metal i like some of the bands you know but i gravitate to more up-tempo stuff whether it be thrash metal or black metal or death metal but when i heard the runes of fading light it's not i would not even necessarily label it as a doom metal record just like a classic metal record that definitely has elements and its roots perhaps in doom but there's so much more to the music yeah i would definitely say we walk the line we walk the tightrope for that um, yeah we have one foot and one one door and one out the other um but it's yeah but a lot of that stems from just us having i don't know if it's having short attention spans but uh, brooks <laughs> you and i get bored very easily correct listening to music yeah we're project we're like kind of yeah. project focused people yeah so with that and getting bored like it, it was just, we we're trying to trim the fat off of it and streamline it in a way that still had the elements and essence of doom. It was still, um, I don't know, a little, 
I don't want to say interesting, a little more exciting with the with the fat trimmed off. It wasn't so bloated and meandering. Yeah. Which, you know, some of that stuff is good too. Don't get me wrong, but that's just not how we're wired to write music, I guess. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of where it loses the plot a lot for me as a fan is when I hear kind of like a 10-minute song that's just sort of, it to me, and I get the appeal of it, at the same time, but for me personally, it it doesn't bring me anywhere. It's not an adventure, you know. I, whereas, you know, uh, I like songs that have a slow part, then a groove part, then maybe an up tempo part and a solo and this and that, and kind of does a few different things. I'm I'm yeah. I'm not gonna say there aren't a lot of really good twenty minute songs. But I can't name a lot of really good twenty-minute songs. Yeah, they are definitely few and far between, and I definitely can't think of a good twenty-minute one off the top of my head. Right, like it doesn't make my my list of great songs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. None of them are twenty minutes. That's like, you know, in my top five songs. None of them are twenty minutes. You should put that as a sticker on your album. None of these are 20 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to rule out that we might write a 20-minute song. I, I don't want to be held liable for that statement. But, you know. <laughs> on album yeah. five, if there's a 20-minute song, I'm writing back to you guys. You're going to have to come back on the show. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I'll have to eat I'll my pull out the tape, song. you know? <laughs> yeah. I'll send it out to Metal Sucks. Do you know what Brooks said in this interview? There would never be a 20-minute song. <laughs> Um, I can't. I can't stake any any never territory. <laughs> um, so you guys have mentioned you guys played in a lot of other bands. You you guys seem to always do. What what were some of the other projects you had going? I know there was um, a death metal project, Trench Rock, correct? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah, that like that. one of the main ones? And what else was there? There's no there's no sense in calling Trench Rock name. Trench Rock was. <laughs> It was a really good time, um, but it was it was really just like a, a couple of summers between two summers, writing and recording some death metal stuff. Yeah, um, it, yeah, we had a good time. The summer. <laughs> yeah, we had we had no we had no intention of like playing live, and we had uh, we never really got to execute it except I think in yeah. one time. But we had like a ridiculously big um, guarantee. Uh, to play live, yeah, uh, we got, only got that for one time. It was two grand. <laughs> it was two grand, a case of beer, and a pound of weed. So, <laughs> it's like okay, like uh, two grand is a lot of money, but it's like, you know, okay, yeah. that's a lot of money. Maybe they can negotiate down a case of beer. And then it's like, oh, they can easily get a case of beer. It's like 25 bucks. But then a pound of weed, it's like, what are these guys doing? <laughs> so did you play that show and cash in on that? <laughs> we never played that show. <laughs> it was also like for some Vancouver Death Fest or something. So it was like, That's yeah, we will. And I was like, yeah, we will definitely play. Here is our, this is our guarantee. And of course, they didn't get back to me, but it was their loss. Uh, yeah, no, that project in particular was just like uh, at our old practice space, which is an old house I, I used to live in and a couple of us lived in. But uh, Brooks and I used to just, during the summer, we'd just 
drink beer and listen to old death metal on the porch. And then it was just like, let's start a band like this or start a project like this. That's all that's all it really was. It was just yeah. us drinking beer and decided that we were going to do it. And, you know, it was I mean, fun. It was the easiest band yeah. to be in. Easiest yeah, I mean, band to be in, period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, death metal is so much fun to write and perform because it's just so ridiculous and over the top and like the best ways possible you know like especially if you get into the horror lyrics and all that stuff (laughs) there were no there was no limit on the lyrics that was a really good thing (laughs) there was was absolutely no lyric that we couldn't write (laughs) yeah you can say anything in the name of horror you know (laughs) yeah 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 i just remember going to rich's house to record that vocals for that album which is funny because he was like he just lived in a group house and i'm just i go up to his room and there's the closet door open with a microphone in it and all his roommates are home so i'm just screaming in his bedroom like an asshole for like hours in this for hours house. for hours of me hours. yelling like katie <laughs> It, uh, it, it took me a minute to get over that. I was just like, oh, God, I, I got to just get through this and not think about it too much. <laughs> I'm having flashbacks to I, uh, my high school band. We recorded a couple albums. We were like, you know, thrash, death, black metal. And uh, I was the bassist vocalist. And I, I remember <laughs> doing the vocals in like the closet of my drummer's mom's house. And just being surrounded by, you know, like Christmas decorations and old Ninja Turtle figures and setting up, you know, like a cross and setting up the action figures and compromising positions and her being confused when she went into the closet the next day. And, you know, you got you got to you got to put yourself out there and be a little bit of a uh, (laughs) just a and just be a little bit of an asshole sometimes you know <laughs> yeah i mean it's the thing about being a vocalist and living in like the city and like i can't, I can't practice in my apartment right <laughs> like, yeah i can't just yell at the top of my lungs i mean so, I, I mean i could but i don't think <laughs> the neighbors would not be too, too happy with me yeah yeah same where i'm at so how do you um usually go about practicing you know just some rent different practice spaces and um we i don't know we're all we all are older we all work full-time jobs and have different schedules yeah getting everyone together can be pretty challenging um sure i mean definitely like we try to practice as much as we can especially before shows can be tricky and Brooks has two kids, so sometimes it's hard for him to get to practices uh, all the time. But, I mean, he makes them yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. before the shows. Um, it's been a struggle this last year because we lost two practice spaces. Uh, yeah. The one we were in for the house I had mentioned earlier, um, that fell through. We, we were there for 10 years. And then oh, um, wow. we just got a new one, and um, that just flooded. <laughs> Oh, no. so uh we're, we're we're wondering about our gear at the moment um oh god we went and got it out just like two days Good. ago but uh, yeah uh, but we're, we're moving into a new one in like like a week or so so everything will be fine we'll pick back up once things start to slowly get back to normal 
Yeah, well, that was another part of my question, I guess. Is it you guys finding it extra challenging with now with everything going on? Uh, I mean, Brooks and James have home studios, so they're able to be pretty productive. I know Brooks, Brooks has been working on some stuff. James sent me some stuff. Yeah. Um, if anything, I feel like we're going to come out of it when we start getting back to work and we're going to probably have a lot more ideas for album three more than anything. So Awesome. So album three is in the works, at least in the beginning, initial stages. I, I don't want to say it's officially started, but yeah, there's, there's rumblings happening. Awesome. Well, Awesome. Well, I, you know, when, whenever oh. that happens, I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, me too. Here I am. Can't wait to finally get back into rehearsing again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, getting into one room is sort of a big part of it. Um, and, and like, you know, there's songs being written, but getting into a room together is a big is a big part of actually like making music especially for sure, this one yeah you know yeah yeah figuring out the dynamics and and also sort of like making making sure that we all agree on like vibe is kind of becoming a an important topic in writing like every album's kind of kind of progressing along uh, a sort of um different aesthetic you know right. making making sure that we're not like lumped into like oh this band only writes songs about this one thing or you know in the sure. one style yeah, yeah. um so to back up a little bit brooks i have a question for you about you said you're never really saying rock music ride to crip sermon so what was that transition like for you as a vocalist I think, uh, you know, I've always sang or like, uh, you know, hollered and whatever in, in punk and metal bands and right. like, you know, some of it and I've sang country music and folk music and stuff like I grew up with that. And I also just really like that. Um, so I sang that, but it, it's almost in a different sort of uh, approach, you know, singing singing wasn't wasn't the scary part it was like expanding my range and like you know try, mm. trying to constantly improve was the the new thing sure <laughs> rather than yeah just like doing what i'm used to doing um, yeah and and i think the the thing about it that was scary initially is the thing that i've just gotten used to being how it is which is like learning how to do it like it's still a work in progress and then i intend to to get better so you know right um yeah it was in, it, it was initially a shock to the system to try it but i don't know there's i i also think like i excel at, at the performance aspect it's my favorite part of being in a band sure um so you know being switching to like being the vocalist and then like switching away from like I played bass initially so like mm -hmm. finding a bass player and being just the singer and that, that being a performance thing rather than just a also like the my voice is an instrument but it's also now like a, um, part of a bigger uh, example of what the band can be I think we're I think we're a yeah. good live band and I think that's been also a, a, a big shock to our system as a band is 
we went a few years without playing live to record the album. Right. And then had to call off all of our live engagements right after the album dropped. So, yeah. you know, there, there was, there was some growth to be like, okay, now I'm, now I'm a rock singer, but now I'm also like, also a front person and like, you know, then you get blue balled that you can't do the live engagements that yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. most exciting and fun part of being in the band, you know, playing with sure. is the best part. Yeah. Yeah. Writing the songs and having the, the record. The rest of it's great. work to a certain extent, you know? <laughs> I mean, like, I think we all really like the writing the songs and recording sure. an album, the feeling yeah. of accomplishment. But at the end of the day, I think we also all really love playing live. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's what I like the most. Uh, I like performing. And... Uh... Well, you know, not to blow smoke up your ass, but kudos to you because if you listen to like your first album or you know your initial demo and stuff, it's you. I would never have said, "Oh yeah, he's never sang this style of music before." It blended in, you know, very well with uh, the overall aesthetic and just what you guys were going for. You, you nailed it, and I think you definitely have your own unique thing going on. Um, you mentioned before, you know, sort of separating the aesthetic of each album and you know between your first album out of the garden and ruins of the fitting like how did that process for you change at all in terms of um how you approached it and for songwriting or recording or anything like that was the process different or the same so you're breaking up a little bit, but did you just just, just ask how we progress from uh, our writing from the first record to the second? Yeah, sorry about that. I was just asking if the process of songwriting and recording changed at all from the first album to the second because you had touched upon doing something different with each record and not putting yourself in a box, so to speak. So was the overall process different or the same or... Um. Well, we definitely wanted to incorporate more of ourselves into the sound. Brooks, would you say that that's fair? Yeah. Um, more, because um, with the first record, we were just trying to find our footing. We were just trying to write some doom songs, epic yeah. doom songs. And then, but this time around, I think that we wanted to, we were like, all right, you know, we did that record. Now, let's see what we can do with this to make it a little more our own. I guess, or just get a little bit more variety. Um, sure. As far as the songwriting, I felt like Brooks would probably agree with me. The, the songwriting this time this around was a little more rigid in the process. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't quite, I mean, we definitely collaborated, but the things that everyone, everyone's contributions uh, brought them to the table more or less um, 95% finished. Whereas in the last yeah. album, sometimes we would write songs more at, at practice. Gotcha. And it was, so it's primarily the two of you and James bringing songs into the band. Is that correct? Yeah, I yeah, think on, so. on, uh, on the first album, there was a, there was a mix of like James and Steve co-writing and I wrote a song 
And then on this album, it's it's like a largely James songs, and they're very good. And Steve wrote two two really great songs. I didn't uh, I I I probably contributed to like uh, adjusting some of the the structures of some of the songs to to fit vocals, but I didn't write. I didn't uh, coll- collaboratively write on this album. And yeah. I think uh, G- Stephen James collaboratively wrote a few albums or a few songs, but maybe they'll be used later or something. Yeah. You know? James and I already discussed for this next album, we want to be a little more collaborative again, just to mix it up. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I definitely I think just to keep things from getting stale it's probably a good thing to right. start doing again yeah. i think i think essentially we kind of know what like we are capable of now that we're two albums in i think is we're feeling a lot more comfortable because we found the last album to be pretty ambitious especially like we we expanded a lot of like what we did on the first album and embellished a lot more you know with um interludes and stuff like that yeah, and we can now this time kind of rein it in and get really focused. Yeah, that was actually something I was going to ask you about um, in terms of the interludes. There's a lot of extra instrumentation and stuff. Is that from you guys? Did you bring in outside people to collaborate? In, yeah, for the playing of yes. on those because it's very symphonic. Yeah, um, yeah we got. Um... Tanner Anderson from Obsequia to write the intro to the title track. Nice. Which yeah. is beautiful. Um, uh, Brooks, I don't want to, Brooks might know how to say it better than I am. James called in somebody um, from Austria. Um, yeah, Gravismon. Gravismon, Lucia. Lucia is the person's name and, and the artist's name is Gravismon. So they're like, uh, really really old school dungeons and artist they they worked with tt from abigor um we had established a relationship and and i collaborated uh, like i i was back and forth with uh tt on the vocal consulting he was my vocal consultant on the on the album so he made he made a lot of style choices yeah, he kind of he's his producer. He's his private producer. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's my producer. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, we collaborated yeah, he, with he him on a Mayhem cover. Call. We did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard that cover. That's great. Yeah. yeah so I mean, like, so we did Gravismond. James did the James did the um song. James wrote uh the song Oath of Exile. That's a that's a whole James thing. Um, yeah. And James and I worked together on the intro. You know, there's ambient. We figured, you know, on the first album, ambient bits were always kind of a part of what we did. You know. Yeah. Um, and and I think James and I agree with James here. Like making that a big feature, making a really epic album, and using those to really embellish the side. It's a, we. I think it, Steve would agree. It's a very like uh, vinyl oriented album. Like the. Mm-hmm the ambient interludes exist at record flips, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a step yeah. down, listen to the record experience. You know? Yeah. It, um, it reminds me of an old school record. It sounds modern and it sounds fresh, but it reminds me like I'm, I, you can see I'm sitting in my wood basement. I feel like I should be down here with it spitting on vinyl 
and just yeah, <laughs> you know, really seeping it in. But it, with that said, it sounds very modern and fresh to my ears at the same time. Yeah. We actually I feel like we got a fair amount of pushback for um, the way this record sounded as opposed to our first one. Um, yeah. Which I guess I say I, I shouldn't be surprised, though I was a little bit. I was just like, really? It's, I mean, you don't sound mad, friend, do we? Pushback from a production standpoint or from a songwriting standpoint or both? I think it's mostly just production standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people. I've seen people say that the songs are stronger, but the production ruins it and, and all kinds. Of really? Stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't sound like it, it's like a really old tape, you know. It, it doesn't. To me, it's just people who aren't going to be—they're not going to be happy yeah. unless it, it sounds like we're stuck in 1988, and <laughs> I think. I think we want to not just be a re- we don't want to be a retro band. Right. Yeah. Like, not at all. That's a big thing. That's a big thing that we talk about a lot is that we play a certain style of music that not a lot of people are playing. And most yeah. of the bands that are playing it, you know, they're, they're pretty old. <laughs> but we don't want to be <laughs> retro. I mean it sa- it definitely sounds like a modern record to me, but it had you guys were able to capture um, I would say the feel of like an old school metal record um, and a lot of because of the different uh, songwriting techniques and interludes like you were saying and, uh, but yeah it that's the, that's funny to me that people push back on that aspect of it it's not like you I record mean, on the trash can drum <laughs> I mean I on the flip side of that there are some things now I listen to in hindsight and it's like this with anything you do or I'm sure. listening back to it, where I'm just like, man, I should have been, I should have been more like assertive about not letting this sound like this, or you know, it's just the way it goes. Um, yeah, because like there's things about the production that I would change now if I could yeah. go back and do it again. But I mean, it is what it is. So. Well, that's the thing. I, I feel like every album is sort of a. It shows you where that artist was at that moment, and it yeah. it, it it drives me crazy when bands go back. And they fix things, or they have a part re-recorded, or they remaster something, and it sounds completely different. Like if you, I, I was listening to a couple of the Megadeth uh, remasters, oh, and some of so them are they're, they're, they're horrible. So they're horrible. There's like that guitar part so not bad. even in the original song, and it sounds like it just it just sounds like a different record, and it, it yeah. killed the feel of those. They're horrible. Yeah, it sounds so insanely bad. It's it. I think it's sort of like a legendary bad sound, you know. At this <laughs> point, it's like, damn, dude, fucked up those records with his remaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, but Not it's like from a, it, Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say. Uh, not from a Sonic perspective, but I was listening to uh, one like a recent remaster of Bark at the Boon not too long ago, and I noticed that one of the songs they were like cutting out like car solos and Rock and Roll Rebel, yeah. like fading in and out. I, I was like, that. "What the fuck?" Is that? I, was, I was so pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I was livid. I just like couldn't believe that somebody had the audacity to do that. Yeah, it's one thing to remaster something and you know, make it sound overall better on a modern, you know, stereo system or whatever, but the talk of the actual 
like sound of the record it drives me nuts or have or have somebody re-record a part like Ozzy did that on a couple of his albums too. He had, like I think it was his first the first couple of records he had a fallen out with or not not the first couple of records a couple of like the Jake and Lee records he I think he had a fallen out with him and uh, the bassist and he had you know his current guys come in and re-record. I'm like come on like just it was a moment captured in time honor it you know those are classic records. And yeah, this I mean, is the first I've heard of that. That's, you know, when you're that, it's it's unfortunate. I'm not saying it's right, but uh, I mean, when you're that yeah. far up on the food chain, it's just you know, it's business at that point. Like, For sure, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's tough. I mean, I can't imagine being in an environment that cutthroat. Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. But it is this point to see as a fan because you want those albums to be kept as they are. And I understand it's, you know, business decisions, personal reasons or whatever, but it is disappointing. Yeah, yeah, of course. So to go back to the interludes and a lot of the imagery that is on the Ruins of Fading Light album, where does the inspiration for that come from? That is a uh, fairly common thing in metal. So does that come from bands you're inspired by, or is it a personal interest, a combo? But I think the, the aesthetic thing is is sort of like a timeline, you know. Um, the you know it's just like in in the on the first album we had sort of like an early you know uh, early antiquity I guess late antiquity sort of aesthetic, um, some sort of crusader sort of european aesthetic i think it's just like persistent in in the vernacular of heavy metal you know it's just built into the aesthetic but it's also like a good what i tried to do on the second album lyrically was have the visual aesthetic be sort of a backdrop to something a little more personal um so the the i think We don't want to be stuck in a sort of one vibe, even aesthetically. I think we'd like to, <clears throat> we want to have a consistent visual narrative, but but one that isn't captured in, uh, in just the medieval feel. I think, sure. you know, yeah. early on, I think James was the one who was saying like, you know, middle ages sort of like armor and dusk and shadows and stuff vibe. I think we were all, we were all generally, on the same wavelength when James, James often comes like first up to the table with a vibe. And we, I think we generally like all kind of vibe with him a little bit, you know, and bounce, he's bounce very ambitious about his vibes. <laughs> he is a, he's, he's a vibe fella. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He, he, I mean, he really, um, but yeah, uh, all I can say the next one will not be medieval sound. It, it's not going to be very medieval sounding. No, I think we 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 have a an aesthetic that we're moving into that I think we all agree on. Yeah. And are you yeah. confident enough to share what that aesthetic is, or too soon? We're, no, we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. Too soon. Yeah. Also, a lot of um, the you know one of the other big things that you know I but on the first album and the second album um and this again plays a big role in metal but music in general 
a lot of uh, uh, Christianity references and stuff. Where where does that come from? Is that again just from personal background? Yeah, I think for me it was like writing something that I'm familiar with. You know, I grew up in in a an evangelical environment, and then as a hobby, I uh, I like to study like about religion and um, both like epistemology, but also history. So it, yeah. it's sort of like hobbyism and my and my and my actual background. And also, like, I think we were also like, like Black Sabbath, Candlemass, Trouble, like all the great doom bands have this real graveyard Christian sort of aesthetic. And I think that was a good template for us to start with, you know, that, yeah. that we felt that we felt good about that we were all sort of also identified with on a sort of visceral level, you know, the, the cemetery is it's the great equalizer. It's it is you know, it is yeah. our untimely our untimely place of rest. You know. Yeah. In the beginning too, that sort of stuff. It's also a very safe bet when you're getting your feet wet in a in a genre band like you kind of started off in. Yeah, yeah. And still are in, quite frankly. And I think I think the thing is though, I think for us, you know, when it comes to that aesthetic, it, it's also that we are like a big genre category we're a heavy metal band and then if you have to nitpick yeah like we're an epic doom band but like really we're a heavy metal band and that aesthetic is just consistent in heavy metal and heavy metal is black sure. you know? yeah so that's what it comes down to yeah yeah i mean that's where it all started right and, and right it, yeah it's funny to me when you let when you go back and you listen to this black sabbath records because you know, at the time they came out, everybody's like, oh, they're super satanic and they worship Satan. And when you actually listen to the lyrics, a lot of them are very positive and about love and it's in, in support of God and the Christian yeah, faith. Yeah. They're like the complete opposite of what people wrote them off as because it's kind yeah, of more. Especially, especially the Ozzy stuff. The Ozzy yeah, stuff yeah, is yeah. pretty hippie dippy. Yeah. Once they got, <laughs> yeah. got Dio on there, he, he, he added many shades to the rainbow. Yes, no pun intended. <laughs> it was so. I'll I'll ask you, uh, which which Sabbath do you prefer, Ozzy or Dio? That's a I'm not, that's that's a that's a trap question. <laughs> <laughs> but but I have but I have a favorite Black Sabbath album. I think Steve might might be on the same page. Mob Rules. Yeah. Um. It's not, I, I don't think it's their best album, but it's generally my favorite. Though, yeah. I did say I, I spent so much time with Ozzy Sabbath when I was younger that I like I put it down for a couple of years and I, it, I let it kind of cool off. And then I listened to nothing but Dio and Troy Martin. But I've been going back and listening to Sabotage and Sabbath Bloody Sabbath again since I had enough time yeah. away from them. So, like, it, like oh, Sabbath. asked me two I years ago, I'd be like, deal all the way. Now it's just like, uh, it depends on the depends on the day for me. Yeah. 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 They're, they're, yeah. The question is a trap, though. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just listened to. Uh, what's that? I'm sorry. Sabbath Party Sabbath is, is almost like worth its weight in gold if you can if you can get the right copy on vinyl. Yeah. I was, That's seen oh, bad remasters i i just was listening to that album uh the other 
like a, a month or two ago for the first time in a while. And it, and I, I think that might be my favorite Sabbath record. Just it, but they, it was such an Which ambitious one? Sabbath, uh, bloody Sabbath. It's just such a, an ambitious sure. project that still kind of captures the doomy Sabbath feel that we, uh, that we got to know over the four hours before that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It really did build on a lot. And it was also sort of like the first time I heard it, because, you know, I had heard like Paranoid. So yeah. when I first heard Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, I was like, what is going on with the guitars and everything <laughs> as far as this production goes? It's amazing how heavy some of those riffs are to this day. Like they would perfectly blend yeah. in on any metal record released in 2020. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> I was talking about that. My friend brought up to me the other day about how, like, the, the opening riff the symptom of the universe, right? Like, yeah. It, it, you immediately think Butthead going, da 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 Well, think, think about that, too. It could have been easily written at any point in metal history. It could have been written by Hetfield. It could have been written by, you know... I don't know, Rob Flynn. I'm trying to think of like a more modern <laughs> metal writer, but any anybody out there, you know, it's just not yeah. not that anybody could write it, but it, my point is, it could blend in in any decade. It's it's the Uncle Tony guitars. Uh, you know, I gotta say, <laughs> at the time, it probably didn't seem like low hanging fruit because I know that. Uh, but, <laughs> But, like, I'm so fucking jealous of all those bands <laughs> because they just grabbed all the, like, lowest hanging fruit, like, just the most simplest fucking dumb iconic riffs. <laughs> and now, they're just, now they're hard as shit to write. <laughs> that means, all the best you know, ideas are you. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to write an iconic like, song like Black Sabbath with three fucking notes, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it drives me nuts. Like, I'm always sitting down turning turning a riff I do into brain surgery for no reason, just because I'm like... Because, just because, you know, all those guys took all the good ones. Now I have to think they about took, it. They took all the, the three notes that you needed. Yeah, well, it's funny. As I get older, especially, I, I kind of revisit a lot of other um, styles of music or other like classic rock bands and I appreciate the songs more and their simplicity because I I've realized how hard it is to write a fucking simple song. <laughs> it's it's really hard. It's hard. It it to make it really stand out especially cuz like you've said, yeah. you know, how many th there's only so many chords and most pop music uses the same handful of chords and to write something that sounds different and unique and that stands the test of time with those handful of chords is Amazing <laughs> when you really oh, think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, twelve notes. <laughs> Just <laughs> <once>. <laughs> yeah. You know, we we were sort of talking about before. We're living in a weird time, to say the least, with a pandemic and everything. It ha has the what we're going through now affected how you um, approach the band at all. You kind of touched upon a little bit about how it's hard to. You know, obviously it's hard to get together and play, and there's been, you know, all unfortunate cancellations of stuff. Um, 
Steve, tell them about our practice space. You don't have to tell, like, don't name the practice spaces. Oh. <laughs> I told him just, our practice space flooded. Yeah. Yeah, while we can't practice, we still we now have to move our amps and stuff, which yeah. you know, I assume they work, uh, to a new space. <laughs> uh, we'll figure we'll see. they work. I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll see. <laughs> I, th uh, I think everything will be fine. I'm optimistic. Yeah. If um, all of a sudden there's a really aggressive death metal song in the next Crypt Sermon, I'll 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 just I'll just assume that it was because your your shit didn't work. And you... <laughs> yeah, we need one to vent our frustration. Um, yeah, it's, I I mean it. You know, we all this all this shit with the coronavirus went down right when we were starting to to get ready to start to play live shows for the year. Um, and we don't play a lot, you know, we don't play a lot of live shows, but we've been really lucky with, with the opportunities we have, you know, we, we, we have, I think we're surprised at some of the, the opportunities that we've had, especially, you know, we have limitations that, that prevent us from playing live a lot. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that we get to play Greece and then you know go do a, a short Euro tour and then that had to be canceled with the virus. It was a big blow to us. I think we all felt a little bummed that we had to miss out. On the other hand, you know, like you can't, you know, it's like I didn't ask for a two month vacation, but I'll take it, I guess. It's <laughs> <at home. laughs> so funny. Uh <laughs> I'm trying to be po I'm trying to be positive. That's it's a, it's the, positive in everything if you look for uh, it, right? Yeah, I mean it's, yeah. it's <laughs> building up your beer tolerance. It's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh there's that. Uh but I mean <laughs> truthfully, like it's so much bigger than than us, really. And like yeah. every everybody gets screwed. The entire planet bands, like yeah. not even music, like everything. It's it's not uh it's yeah. not that hard. Digest, and um, I'm I'm honestly grateful because we were kind of arguing back and forth over whether or not we should fly to Greece. Right, uh, yeah. and that's the day that everything sort of really escalated, and um, then we finally decided for a couple other reasons to pull the plug, and then that night <laughs> the travel was passed. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> we we dodged bullet. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah. My yeah. my son broke his leg just in time. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh God, no. It was great. Um, <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, we were we were really lucky because the travel restrictions went into effect at the time, like essentially two hours before they would have had to fly out. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. So that was it was yeah, a lucky just been stuck in Newark. That's a bad joke. That's a bad joke. <laughs> Stuck in Newark is its own bad joke. So <laughs> I would have wished I would have wished that upon my you know worst worst yeah. enemy. So. <laughs> so with everything going on, what do you think is like the uh, what's like? If somebody listening to this podcast, what is the best way right now? You feel that they can support Crip Sermon or just their bands and metal in general. 
I think Bandcamp. like the yeah, like Bandcamp sales, digital sales, digital downloads, buying T-shirts from bands. You know, you know. I think we took a big hit. Like all this shit's going down with the post office too. So that's really shitty because we like sell our own merch on our Bandcamp site and stuff. Right. So that's like a significant source of income for us. Not like not significant. It it is money that actually goes towards us recording new stuff. You know we. You know, we have label backing, but some of it's like out of our pocket too. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, we don't really make any money doing Crypt Sermon. It's not like it's not a job. You know, so every every bit of money that tends to come to Crypt Sermon tends to go back to Crypt Sermon. Every not, now and then, we get enough to buy a couple new records or something. But you know, <laughs> it's it's not it's not buying it's not buying the broccoli. Yeah. So, uh, so what was the deal with Bandcamp is offering something I forget what it is it's, what is it like every first Monday or Friday something of the month they're waving their I think it's I think it's the first Friday of the month or something like that yeah. I don't know maybe it might be the first of the month I'm not entirely sure but for the next three months I think they're doing like all sales on that day go to the band which yeah. is very good for this this yeah. past few the, in the past few days. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that's a. I'm glad to see that at least certain uh, brands and companies are kind of stepping up and helping people. Like, it something like that. While it might seem small dollars, I'm sure extremely helpful to uh, you guys and a lot of bands right now. I think there were there was some income that would have been missed from. Yeah. from our euro shows and and the ones that we had coming up to that are almost definitely not going to happen and um i mean i guess on the other hand it's given us a chance to to focus on writing music which is good and that maybe you know gets us more proactive into recording sooner than right. later which was we, uh, live shows really occupy a lot of our physical effort um, writing does take a back seat for getting prepared to play live shows. Right, and we don't yeah. have, yeah. since we don't have the ability to tour full time, or not that that sounds super fun, but like, you know, <laughs> touring uh, touring a lot is is pretty grueling, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. So rehearsing and making sure that we play really well live. It takes it takes a lot more effort for us, and also I'm like I'm still learning how to do like the singing live, you know. <laughs> it's not like studio tricks in the studio, but it's like it's new. It's new for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, the last we haven't thing, gone out. Yeah. Yeah. Not gone like out for like over a week at a time. We do a lot of one off, so especially it's hard for it's hard for singers to keep their voice healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah on the road sleep it sleep is a big part of it that's one thing that i learned you know when we do do our short little stints the other part of being out and on the road and stuff is like you know staying up late or like staying up late even against your will (laughs) (laughs) yeah then people are like no you're gonna party and you're like (laughs) it's really not that good of an idea and uh (laughs) And, and so like yeah, jet lag and all that other stuff for yeah 
we were supposed to go over to Europe a bunch this year. And I was yeah. Right. And it's not like you it's get all, a review on the live show, like, oh, wait, let me go back out, take two. <laughs> I mean, I think we're still learning as we go. This is a new environment. Like, this is a new style of music for us, but it's all it's so it's a it's also a learning situation for us that we haven't been even you know if we were a grindcore band you know it we'd be playing so fast people wouldn't know (laughs) they're like it was pretty fast that would be like (laughs) what people said at the end of the set it was fast yeah and that was it was fast the drums were loud (laughs) yeah and you know but uh, but this is all there's there's spaces between the notes and there's you know you have to be able to kind of understand what I'm saying most of the time so it's all new we're all you know we're all learning what kind of handicap a lot of room for error yeah there is more room for a lot of room for error yeah that's why I always like screaming in bands because if I forgot the lyrics nobody knew (laughs) yeah yeah had it easy back then. We always joke joke about how stupid our band would sound if I if if we had harsh vocals. (laughs) No one would want to listen to Crip Sermon. Not that no, maybe no. There's there's a no. There's a whole style. There's an audience out there for that too. (laughs) Well, if if it had harsh, if it had harsh vocals, there's like you know people would be like, ah, it's black metal, some subgenre of black metal, but um. It's doom black metal. <laughs> yeah, that I think is a thing. Uh, I'm sure that if it, it is. had, if it had no vocals, I think it would be like a little. It would give some space for the guitars. I think there's there's a band that doesn't involve me that has more lead right. guitars. <laughs> you say when I put my harsh, my sneak my harsh vocals in on this record. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I. I, I honestly, I've done, I've done harsh vocals back in the day. My, my days of being a vocalist are very much over the chore for me. So, <laughs> unless, oh, no, that's not, that's not entirely true. Um, yeah. You can never say, for us live. You can never say never. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I'm expecting a 20 minute death metal song, the next Crip Sermon now. Yeah. <laughs> And Steve will do all the vocals. Just my phone <laughs> oh my god! Wow. Uh, you then I get to play guitar. I get to play lead guitar. Do <laughs> you want me to be the front man? I You're said front man I, for for the twenty minute extended death metal, metal song on the next, on the next album. album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I play, but I am really good, Steve. It's, just make sure it has the whammy bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, big time. I'll just dive bombing the motherfucker the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so just a few little wrap-up um, questions. Just a heads up. Yeah, what's up? I was just about to say, yeah, my phone's actually about to give out any second. So if we're, we're wrapping up, so hopefully I don't. I make it through all of them. If you, if you, if you, <laughs> if you leave us. Um, I understand. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. I'll say that up front in case we lose you. Um, it, it was great talking to you, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm a fan. I'm extremely excited to see where Sermon goes um, from here. And please feel free to come Pleasure, back on man. the show anytime. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, Thank you very much. Uh, earlier, 
earlier today I texted Steve and I was like, I hope we just talk about Metallica. <laughs> well, we, I, I am sorry, disappointed. We talk about Metallica <laughs> a significant amount. But can you can you come back on and we will just we will we won't have to talk Crip Sermon at all. We will just talk about Metallica. <laughs> we can do, do like a thirty-minute talk. But we could, well, I mean, we, Steve and I, Steve and I have many talks about Metallica. I think is. Uh, well, let me ask you this. We'll see if we can catch Steve before his uh, device dies. What is your favorite Metallica album? Oh, I'm going to give you the boring answer and say it varies. Uh, I think, obviously, I think between like the first three or four. Um, I think Master of Puppets is the most is a, like the most cohesive, biggest the masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, Lightning is the most heavy metal. It's uh, it's just got such a killer vibe, and then of course Kill 'Em All is just, it's so fucking energetic and yeah, it's like you know new wave of British heavy metal riffs played on eleven. Right. It's yeah, awesome. yeah. Um, it, it just depends on how I'm feeling. In, in yeah. the first four, in the first four Metallica albums, I listened to them in that order. Uh, my my preferences to their releases, but I I think if there's like an A plus plus would do business with again Metallica album, it's Master of Puppets. I, that yeah. album's perfect. I so, agree. I think it's the perfect album, and I think the song Master of Puppets. In a lot of ways, the perfect song. If I, if I, if some weirdo out there never heard Metallica, and I yeah. think you that song, that that sums up everything that they do really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just say, fun fact: the uh, the chords, the arpeggio melody at the end of um, "Crisis Dead" was me trying to rip off in just for all air Metallica. Actually, it's it's such a yeah, it's a such. A, such an uh, justice sort of thing. All right, that's probably Steve. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll wrap up. But yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, oh, he's back. He's back from the dead. Um, so, favorite Metallica song? I don't know. I'm not entirely sure. I'm asking all the hard any questions here at the end. <laughs> it might be, it, I, I could probably tell you which song, you know, it, that I that I couldn't possibly pick. It, you know, I, I couldn't yeah. have a the the song with the most stank on it is the thing that should not be. Every Perhaps every riff doom song they ever written. That's yeah yeah. That's, thing, yeah. <laughs> it's so gloomy, but every riff is that that like it makes you make that face like you smelled something really bad is <laughs> like oh oof. that's that's such a that's such a heavy riff every riff though yeah everything in that song just works well together where you know the yeah the lyrics work hand in hand with the riffs which you know Kirk does his kind of like ambient solo in that song you know it's like it's just yeah, yeah. horror soundtrack <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think it's also a really good like it, it precedes the album that lets you know that leper messiah is coming later um <laughs> i think a lot of people don't like leper messiah but i but because of i think 
where I came into Metallica, like coming yeah. from like liking Load and then liking the Black Album and, and then liking Justice, of course, but like yeah. you, you kind of like, or like, oh, there's these kind of like hard rock riffs that are on these songs, like these kind of like stadium riffs were like pretty early on in their writing. Right, yeah. It, it, I would say for me, if I have to choose a least favorite song off Master Puppets, it's, it would be Leopard Messiah. But that's like choosing, but there's no bad songs on the album. It's a perfect record. Yeah, so, the song's so good. Song, it's still, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's still up on, it's, it, it's a 9.9. <laughs> and that, and that song is also like sort of the template for like Dire's Eve, you know. Yeah, yeah. Through yeah. it's got kind of got that same sort of like mid-tempo stomp that is still really infectious. It's still a really good song. Yeah, I feel like you know it, it's funny because you can see the band developed by leaps and bounds from Kill 'Em All to Ride the Lightning, and then Master Puppets. I feel like they are finally starting to like really come into like that metallica crunch that like you hear now and you know instantly it's them you know yeah yeah and that is i, I think the black album's a little over long but it's still a really super great album like you know and they they really honed their songwriting it's funny a lot not a lot of people i feel like recognize that to be as heavy of a record because how like clean the production was and how hugely successful it was but you cannot listen to a song like savage and tell me that's not heavy as fuck <laughs> oh yeah it's so heavy yeah and yeah. um I, I i i heard a uh in some research for this uh episode i i came across an interview there was some kind of dave mustaine running at a at a decibel uh beer and metal fest we yeah. have to meet well, him. Or... Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I know Arthur from uh, Eternal Champion and James hung out from with him for a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't really see him. I know Steve like said hey to him or something, but that's that's about yeah. the extent of my knowledge. I wasn't I wasn't uh, super proactive, and you know. <laughs> hey Dave, what the fuck's up with those remasters? <laughs> I mean, I just like I don't know. What am I going to talk to the guy about? I, I like and I'm like I really like Metallica, and I love Megadeth. But it's like I mean, you yeah. got lucky getting picked out of Metallica because like <laughs> you know, Megadeth rules, and I think like you know it was it was the thrash world was better that he got kicked out of Metallica. Well, and now. You know? having one great band we have two you know yeah make it up the rules i mean I, Imagine, I wouldn't i i wouldn't be able to be like man the remasters <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not i'm not gonna hold his feet to the fire you know i think i think he's got he's got a lot of other stuff going on to worry about than yeah, those remasters. Yeah, for sure he'd be like he'd be like what what remastered <laughs> Uh, I just want to let you know too that uh, I I was telling Steve before we started uh, recording you joined it. I have a six month old daughter at home, and uh, oh yeah, I'm always playing her music. And uh, the other day, uh, uh, the will of the ancient call from your first album comes on, and she's sitting on my lap, 
and she loses her goddamn mind. She starts going, taking her fist in the air, bouncing up and down on my knee, and like looking at me all excited, like, oh, you like the song? You like the song? And then today, actually, yeah, it was just earlier today, I'm giving her a bottle. And it, sometimes, you know, she gets really fussy and she doesn't like the ball. She wants mommy's boobs and, you know. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, but a lot of times if I play her music, it helps calm her down. And I, I started off playing her like kind of, you know, more relaxing music. And, and now I just kind of put on whatever and she seems to be into yeah. it. But uh, Christ is Dead came on. She was like completely calm completely silent i saw that bottle oh. in her mouth and she ate away so thank you for your for your help even though <laughs> there's, there's dad vibes <laughs> the, the, the children know the children know when there's a dad <laughs> yeah yeah it's gotta be it <laughs> uh, I, you know I, yeah, I'm, I'm currently surprised that my daughter's left me alone as long as she has. So. <laughs> um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, yeah, thanks for having us. I am so glad we got to talk about Metallica. <laughs> I hope, uh, like I said, if you come on again, will you will you come on again, please? And please, we'll just talk about Metallica. We'll talk, we'll talk more Metallica. There's so yeah. much to talk about, though. Um, I, no, well, I usually have um, we. I you know I usually try to have a, you know a topic, whether it's uh, a track by track breakdown, or we do out things there. Like we we broke down their MTV Icon special. We do. Uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, we do. Uh, what else have we done? I've done. Uh, we did an Iron Maiden versus Metallica debate. We did <laughs> basically anything Metallica related. We will discuss on this here show. <laughs> well, you know, you're not going to get far if between me and Steve talking about Iron Maiden. We love, that's another thing we love to talk about. Uh, <laughs> what a great band. Yeah. Okay. I, I should wrap it up too. Um, yes. Yeah. So thanks for, thanks for having me. And yeah, we just. I want to thank Brooks and Steve of Crypt Sermon for coming on Metallicast. I know the audio was a little rough at spots, but that is bound to happen sometimes when you are recording at home in separate locations. It was a real pleasure being able to talk to them, though. Super nice, chill guys have to be in a really great band that I truly like a lot. If you're already familiar with them and you're a fan of their music and you have the means, please support these guys by buying some merchandise, a t-shirt or whatever. If you have not yet heard this band, what are you waiting for? Check them out as soon as possible. Buy, download, or stream their albums wherever you legally can. If you go to cryptsermon.bandcamp.com, that's a great way to purchase their music, especially if you do it on one of the upcoming days where Bandcamp waives their fees so the band gets all of the money. Also, some podcast news. Uh, you may have heard this on the live stream last week on the final welcome home quarantine i'm going to mention it here again in case you missed it starting next month in june you're going to get a lot more monthly content from me uh as i just said the weekly live streams i was doing welcome home quarantine they are finished as of last week but live streams will be back rebranded on a monthly basis starting in june so stay tuned 
to social media at Metallicast Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for an announcement on that. And just like the past ones, it will be released as a podcast the following day. So if you're not able to tune into the live stream, you can still check out the audio the next day. Additionally, you will continue to get a monthly full-length episode from me. I have a lot of really cool first-time guests lined up in the coming months who I'm super excited to talk to. And starting next month in June, there will also be a third mystery thing that will vary month to month. So some months, maybe you get a bonus live stream or a bonus full-length. Some months, maybe you get a mini episode. Some months, maybe I do an event like the Netflix Watch Party of the Dirt that I had uh, a couple weeks ago. Or maybe it'll be something new that I've not yet thought of. But starting next month in June, you're going to have more Metallicast content. Three out of the four weeks of the month, I'm going to have some kind of content for all of you. Over the last two years, this podcast has grown more than I ever thought it would. Thanks to all of you in the Metallicast Show. So please continue to spread the word and, of course, subscribe to the podcast and download each episode. The more that happens, the more cool guests I will be able to have on here. If you are interested in donating any amount to the show, you can do it through Anchor using the link in the episode description. Any and all money goes right back into the show for promotion or upgrading equipment, which actually was just able to do so. Thank you. Um, I keep trying to do new things that will hopefully grow the podcast and and increase engagement with all of you. Some of the things I have tried have worked, some have not, but I'm going to continue trying new things so so this show can continue to grow and move forward. And as a result of some of that, you might start noticing some subtle changes here or there. For example, you might hear an ad or you might hear a slight format change. One thing you are going to notice for sure in this episode is a format change. There are no more cover songs at the end of each episode. Uh, It it got too hard for me to keep track. And uh, to be quite honest, now that this is growing and evolving in year three uh, with a much larger audience, I just want to be even more respectful of copyright laws and um, just try not to piss anybody off. (laughs) Uh, please, if you're not already, follow Metallicast on social media at MetallicastPod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure, like I said before, you subscribe and download. And if you can also leave a positive review, rate me five stars on Apple Podcasts, or leave a positive review wherever you get your podcast, whether it be uh, Google, Spotify, or elsewhere. Metallicast, of course, is available on all those platforms, as well as, of course, Anchor and our home site, fansnotexperts.com. So thank you. In a couple weeks, there'll be another full length with another first-time guest who I think you are going to really enjoy. So until next time, ladies and gentlemen, mill up your ass. Yeah! Fans not experts.